Hey there. Welcome to the Global Wear Podcast. All right, so for today, we're going to do something a little bit different. Instead of this being program specific, I thought it might be fun to try discussing some of my favorite travel tips, specifically for travel abroad as opposed to domestic travel, although some of these tips may apply to both. And I'm not going to do them in any particular order or order of importance. It won't even be exhaustive. I just wanted to have um, a moment to conversationally discuss some of the things I think are good to know when traveling abroad. And I am joined today uh, by Toby Barrett, um, who has been helping us with podcasts all summer, although we are sad it is coming to the end of his internship. And I just want to say thank you, Toby. We're really grateful for all the help you've given us this summer. Of course, it's been really fun. Thanks for having me. Okay, so um, why don't we just start with one of the top things that... Um, People I'm traveling with, I always tell them, try and use the bathroom before landing. And what happens is, you know, the the airline crew will usually get on the intercom 45 minutes to an hour prior to landing to say that the descent has begun. And so many people decide, okay, well, I'm just going to sit in my seat because I see a lot of people getting up to use the bathroom last minute and they don't want to get caught, you know, um, during the descent. The thing is, they usually give you so much time at this point, specifically so you'll go and use the bathroom, even if there are other people that get up. And the reason it is particularly worthwhile is if you're traveling internationally and your first stop is immigration, um, particularly if there are several flights arriving at the same time, this is the one time where you may be in line for 30 minutes three hours, depending on how efficient those immigration officials are. So if you've had the foresight to try and get a seat toward the front of the plane, either because you paid for it or have elite status or have requested it at the gate, um, you'll be a leg up. But what a lot of people do is as soon as the plane lands, they'll use the bathroom. And by the time they get out, they're at the end of that two-hour line. And it may not even get you out of the airport earlier because you're still you've got a shot that you're going to have to be waiting on your bag. The difference is if you're standing in line at immigration, the local authorities often won't let you be on the phone. There's no place to get water. There's no place to use the bathroom at that point, And there's no sitting. So if you're if you have some choice over how you rearrange your time, you might as well be at the front of that line so that when you get through it, even if you're waiting on your bag, you can be sitting near baggage claim or using the bathroom, getting water or getting cash out of the ATM machine. It's just such a simple hack to avoid something that I find really annoying, which is just standing in line, not even being able to look at your phone. So um, I just really recommend that. Interesting. And also, if you go on the plane and you're standing in those lines forever, does that mean like if you do need to go, you're not just like stuck in the line forever, like holding it? You know, it really depends. Um, each of the um, immigration areas in every country is very different. I've found that they don't tend to have bathrooms um, near the immigration line. Um, the most that you're likely to see in terms of any sort of amenities is often they will have some kind of small little counter, possibly with pen, to fill out landing cards. Um 
but often there are no bathrooms, no water, uh, no telephones. So it, it's an area where you can feel kind of claustrophobic. There's just so, so many limitations and particularly, uh, you know, a lot of them won't even have a fast lanes for people with families or the infirm or elderly. So um, anyway, just a simple way to get you through um, not having to stand in a line too long. Second, and this one is simple and it might seem obvious, and yet I see all the time that people will fully pack their bags and they may be very careful about what they're packing. And that can also that can be as much as a problem as not being careful. And what I mean by that is if somebody has planned down to, you know, the millimeter of space and weight they're using, they will often fill their bag absolutely to that limit. And as they acquire new things on the road or get less careful because their um, belongings, their clothing has gotten dirty and so it's not folded quite as neatly, it becomes much more difficult to get it back in that original bag. So I think it's better to start with, hey, you don't necessarily have to pack it so nice and neat and so without any space of air between each item that there's no extra room. I would leave you know, at least 15 to 20% of your bag open so that you have uh, that extra space because inevitably your bags will expand on the way back. The one exception to that is um, I try and bring and this will depend on your airline and your status. If you have any excess bag allowance or if you get one or two bags, any sort of excess. But I try and carry the um, luggage I'll need, my clothing and toiletries, on in a small roller bag on the plane. And then I use my check bags for donations. And that serves, obviously, several purposes. But the donations are usually heavier and I have more of them. And if for some reason they don't arrive on time, or they're separated from me, it's not that big of a deal. Um, and it also means I have an empty bag to bring stuff back on the way back. So that tends to be the um, the way I travel. And I know people will say, travel light, travel light, travel light, and that is true. But if you're traveling with Globeware on a service program, um, you know, we'll often find, for example, we're working with kids in South Africa and they all love to play sports, but they um, it's very difficult for many of the kids where we work to afford shoes. And so any sort of extra shoes you have, this is a great way of getting them to somebody who needs them. Um, and compared to trying to ship donations, um, you know, the a, a, a suitcase of shoes would often cost three or four hundred dollars to ship, um, but if you have that free bag to bring over, it's the most often economically inexpensive way to get those donations on site. So, anyway, cool. Yeah, my dad um, always recommended to me growing up that I like put my medications uh, like in my backpack and my carry on mm-hmm. instead of like my check bags. Yes, if they lose your your uh, check bags, it, it's Right. Such a hassle. Right. Such a hassle. Yeah. Even having your prescription. But I'm glad you mentioned that because it does bring to mind something that um, I can say from experience is very helpful. If you email yourself copies of medical prescriptions, copies of your passport, um, even your credit cards, if you lose them, it's so much easier to replace. I had my passport stolen um, 
once and I was with my children and getting back, if I hadn't had copies of my passport, it would have taken several days longer. And it is complicated because let's say someone even wants to Western Union you money. Well, if you're wallet and your passport are stolen, if you were to try and go to a location to pick it up, they want you to show ID to pick it up. So um, it's if you have a way to email yourself copies of all of these things, or even send, emailing it to a trusted friend or family member so they can email it to you, it gives you a backup for you know medical prescriptions and so on. Um, it's not even a bad idea to have copies of some of those things um, in your luggage someplace. But uh, I think a digital copy copy is great to have. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, how would you recommend? What are like the best ways to keep your like passport safe while you're traveling? My mom used to have a like a little belt that she would strap onto us yeah. so that our passport was like on our body at all times. How do you recommend keeping it safe? So, um, I will tell you that the gold standard on that is the. Um, the belt, the belt case, yeah, that people will wear underneath their clothes. Um, I will also tell you that a lot of people don't do that and might find it impractical over time. And, um, you know, I think someone like Rick Steves, um, he probably has done a good job of doing that all of his life. Uh, so I do think that is the gold standard. That is the most recommended way of doing it. Um, but people who have lock boxes in their rooms, it's probably best to put it there. You will be told in many countries that you're required by law to have your identification on you at all times. I have never in, you know, 120 countries uh, been stopped and required to produce it. I think in some ways, many countries that are used to having tourists know that people are worried about losing them, so they won't necessarily travel with them. But you might hear people say, hey, legally, you're required to do it. And again, if you email yourself a copy and have it on your phone, so if somebody wants to see it, you can show it to them. Um, I think that's not a bad idea as well. So um, another thing I do think in terms of packing, if you aren't bringing donations, but you think you're going to want to bring things home, um, while shipping is an option, again, it can often be uh, very expensive. I like to bring those, and Toby, you may know what they're called, These those big blue plastic Ikea-looking bags that all the kids use when they're moving into their dorms. Whatever those are called. Ikea bags. Ikea bag, Ikea packing bag. They're enormous. Uh, but they're great because you can fold them up and put them in the bottom of your bag. And if you end up needing an extra bag, it holds so much. And you can just bring a whole extra bag back so it's a way of kind of expanding yeah definitely the space you have and and you wouldn't even need to check that as an extra bag on your way there just on the on the way back the other thing in terms of coming back in country if you're from the united states you may well know about global entry already which um there are various credit card programs where if you have the credit card like Amex is one of them. They will pay your fee to get your global entry card. It can take up to a year to get it. So I would do it way in advance. Um, but one thing that in the last year I've noticed, not only does it get you a TSA pre-check so that on the way in, ostensibly you will be uh, getting through that quickly. Much more importantly, on the way back, if you're in one of the cities that has global entry kiosks, you don't even get your passport out at many of them. So, for example, coming into um, 
Miami and Dallas, uh, you no longer even scan your passport. You just look at the screen and keep walking and they will know your name as you walk up. I know it can be spooky and for people who are worried about, um, I don't know, biometric data leaks, well, maybe this isn't for you, but it does seriously speed through. And I'll give you an example. Coming back from uh, Ecuador a week or so ago, it looked to be about a two-hour line um, going through immigration on re-entry into Miami and I wasn't even 60 seconds. I just walked up and kept going. There's not, again, you don't even get your passport out of your wallet. So they're continuing to, uh, it's it's to me getting to be of more and more value on the way back in, on the way back out, on the way out rather going through TSA pre-check. Well, sometimes those lines are just as long in pre-check as they are the regular line. But on the way back in, it's almost always, if you're at a place that provides global entry, it's almost always going to save you a ton of time. Again, it will not necessarily get you out of the airport quicker if you have checked bags. If you filled that blue Ikea bag and you have to wait on it, even if you've got some kind of elite status, I feel like the airlines only kind of honor that, you know, maybe 10% of the time. So that part won't go faster, but the standing in line, uh, it'll reduce that. And I find that of value. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing that, uh, and th- this is perhaps again, more specific to service abroad related travel and not say if you're going to, uh, I don't know, a museum tour in Europe. Um, although I think plenty of people will do this, you know, doing your laundry along the way, um, and not, uh, worrying about doing hotel laundry. I often, because I bring very travel-friendly items, I will just use the hotel shampoo to wash uh, T-shirts and undergarments um, overnight in the sink and dry them on a hanger in the bathroom. Uh, it's, uh, you know, perhaps not quite as good as being at home, but it's certainly good enough for uh, getting through uh, service travel. And a lot of people think, gosh, I didn't bring any detergent. I didn't, uh, you know, bring a laundry bag. None of that is really required. A hotel shampoo will usually do the trick. So uh, now, Toby, I know you had seen something interesting. I have my own duct tape. tip but i wanted you to mention the one that you had told me about that you came across yeah um in researching for the podcast i found an interesting tip that said to put duct tape on like your cameras or whatever like electronic equipment you have because maybe like it'll make it look broken so people are like less likely to steal it um you know do with that what you will i don't know exactly what electronics you're carrying but um, it's an interesting tip. I've never heard it, and I do think it's interesting. I think if there's a brand new uh, looking phone and one that looks beat up with tape on it, if if there was a choice, I could see why they may not choose the one with tape on it. I I use neon colored duct tape. I mean, really bright, ugly duct tape on my charge cords because I'm often traveling with and around lots of other people, and everyone seems to have the same looking cables and cords so it does two things it helps me see um and and i mean the uglier the better like i've got like bright purple with pirate you know skull and bones and stuff on them and uh, because at a glance i can see that it's mine 
And number two, and perhaps just as importantly, it's the kind of item a lot of people come home with and say, oh my gosh, I must have left it in the room. But if it's got neon on it, as you're doing that last scan after you've packed, it stands out. Yeah. And what I like to do is I take, you know, a piece that's maybe a foot long and I cut it and then I... I put it along the cord and I fold it in half onto itself so that it kind of creates a little flag along the cord so that it really isn't taking up any extra space, but it's making it so much brighter and easier to see. Um, so anyway. And beyond like cords and stuff, would you recommend that for like luggage? Like if you're waiting for it at the yeah. claim and stuff? You know what I've always liked to do is when I'm in countries, you know, um, I... I like to buy and support thing at locals um, within the community by buying the things they've made. And that's one of those things, textiles, that in many countries all over Latin America and Southeast Asia you'll see being sold, whether it's belts or uh, hair ties, um, things like that, that you can buy in many uh, countries and use to tie on to your luggage uh, that will be inexpensive but very unique and again a way to give back to the economy and sure duct tape bright duct tape isn't gonna hurt it certainly won't weigh anything um, but it is an, and I have had people take my bags home before and I have taken others home but I don't even buy black suitcases anymore um, I'm even to the point where I'm thinking I'm gonna stop buying any silver suitcases because it's what so many people bring but yeah I think it's a great idea to make sure you put things on your bags to make them look very specific and unique to you. Um, you know, in many of the countries we go to, and Cuba is an example, um, parts of the Galapagos Islands are an example, uh, there are places where access to the internet and Wi-Fi can be hard to come by. and. There are a variety of apps where you can download maps ahead of time before your trip that will give you the ability to navigate without a Wi-Fi or data connection. And uh, maps.me is one of them and OKMap okay or OKMaps okay um, are will do that as well. Now they, they can be a little bit slow like when you use them in Cuba. Uh, it may take a few seconds to kind of kick in, but the GPS function, a lot of people think it's tied to Wi-Fi or data, and it can be, but it isn't always. So I would just download those ahead of time so you're not using up data in-country, and it can, you can ensure that it will download before you even get there. It's a great way to be able to navigate. And, you know, I use um, often, uh, when I'm walking, I use Google Maps to navigate. Um, and it can take, you know, a good 10 steps of walking before your your phone will register which direction you're walking in. So you can sometimes need to be a little patient to make sure it catches up to where you are. But I find those to be incredibly helpful. There are areas, you know, you might be in France around stone walls and or in, in Peru and in Cusco where you've got uh, stone walls and it, it doesn't always, um, if you're trying to use data, see the data just because of the stone walls you're around. But, um, but these offline maps generally work very well no matter where you are. Cool, yeah, that one's helpful for sure. Another app I think is really helpful and a lot of people don't seem to know about, a lot of people know about Google Translate. They'll know that they can put in a note 
in, let's say, English and translate it to Spanish, or they can cut and copy text and put it in a different language and say to translate. But a lot of people don't seem to know that if you turn on Google Translate and rather than putting in words, if you open your camera app, there's a camera function there. Like let's say you are in Guatemala looking at a menu and you don't speak Spanish. If you open the Translate and click on your camera, it will show you live the English translation for that menu or that sign or those instructions so that you're not having to cut and copy anything. It'll just show, it's kind of this weird magic trick where you're hovering over the words and all of a sudden English appear. Um, I think it's really a, a neat, neat feature. I, I always think that language should never be a reason somebody does not go to a country uh, because nowadays in particular, there are plenty of ways of getting around and most of the essential things for uh, travelers, you can find um, ways of um, getting the uh, translations. So, yeah, in a lot of ways, the uh, not knowing the language is part of what makes the experience the experience that you're looking for. Exactly, so. and it can be fun and funny if it can take a little bit of time. If you buy, uh, you know, yogurt instead of milk or whatever, um, agreed. Part of the adventure, Toby. Yes, it is. Um, money. So when I travel, I usually bring a couple hundred dollars of U.S. currency. I usually bring a couple of credit cards, different ones, like, you know, an Amex and a MasterCard and a debit card. I don't go to places like Thomas Cook to get currency ahead of time because the fees they charge are so high. The other thing I don't do is exchange money at the airport or at an exchange bureau. The most efficient thing I've seen is to withdraw the maximum amount you can with your ATM card out of an ATM machine. And often the ATMs that are in... Um, in a good public downtown place or near a bank will let you take out more than an airport. So sometimes an airport will only allow you to bring 100 or 150 out um, and it'll charge you $5. But the exchange rate will be better than what you would get at an exchange bureau. Also, don't use traveler's checks. I used to. I haven't done that in decades. Uh, so I would recommend... Uh, Usually, if you bring two or three hundred dollars of local currency out of an ATM machine, that'll be all you would need for a week to ten days, unless you're just planning on buying a whole lot of souvenirs and fancy meals. Uh, most of the places where uh, we go at Globalware, that will be enough to get you through any of the extra spending you'd need. If you don't use it all and you want to exchange it back at the airport, you can. You know, you'll lose a fair amount in the exchange, or you can donate it. Uh, but to me, that's the most efficient way. The other thing I'll say about money that I don't know how to get people to do this, but it would be so helpful. Everywhere we go, you need small bills. You need small bills. You need small bills. You need small bills. Almost no one will have smaller change or will admit that they have smaller change. So if you um, buy something that's, say, I don't know, 20 Quetzal, but you only have a 50 Quetzal bill, um, if they don't have 
change, then, then you're stuck. So at the same time you're getting money, if there's a way to buy something to get small currency or to walk into a bank to get them to exchange it, the worst they can do is just say no. That I've never had a bank charge me for breaking down currency. You will be glad to have had the smaller bills. And even in places like you know Ecuador, their currency, they use the U.S. dollar. Um, but if you don't have the smaller bills, uh, they will often say they don't have change. So, so just know that it's better in almost every country. Just go ahead and have small bills. Get them as soon as you can. Um, you'll be glad to have them. Um, on the airplane, and again, I said these weren't any order, and boy, they really aren't. Um, you know, there are lots of different devices, neck pillows and things people will use to try and sleep on the airplane. And this may not work for everybody, but I'm going to share it because it's uh, something that's worked for me and I just don't see a lot of people using it. Um, it's called Go Sleep, and I don't have any relationship to this company. I've not been given any sort of free products, but it is a, it looks like your typical sleep mask. And it's got this um, adjustable uh, spongy cord. Um, and when you put it on, you put it around your entire seat back and adjust it. And the reason I like it is when I've tried to use various pillows and wraps and things that go around your neck, it rarely is enough to keep my head straight or my neck straight. So usually I'm still at some kind of angle. But when I use this Go Sleep mask, uh, I can relax the whole weight of my head forward and it holds it straight and out. So I arrive without a crick in my neck and it's super lightweight and takes up so much less space than a neck pillow. And I've seen so many different devices, you know, where you blow it up and put it on the tray table and so on. I just haven't had Good luck with that. So anyway, it's worth a try. Inexpensive. It's called Go Sleep. Go Sleep. Cool. Now, Toby, you had, uh, we had chatted earlier uh, before we started the podcast about baby wipes. And, um, you know, particularly when COVID started, this was something a lot of people would travel with, uh, particularly with Clorox, so that they could clean their, um, the area around them on the plane uh, they can use them for cleaning all sorts of things, whether from their devices, the suitcases, to the places they visit, visit if there are no um, washing facilities around. So I think it isn't a bad idea to carry them. Uh, I'm not always disciplined about doing that. Most places you can buy them. There are people who might worry that they're not as environmentally friendly, so you can make those decisions for you, for yourself. But there are a lot of people who find them super useful to travel with, and they do come in um, very portable packs that work well for yeah. travel. Especially with international travel, too. A lot of times I feel myself, I just feel like gross after a long flight, after being in an airplane or airport forever. Um, and they're like a pretty, they're a pretty like cheap, uh, clean alternative mm -hmm. to showering in an airport, sure. which you would never want to do really. So wipe yourself, make yourself feel clean and fresh. And, uh, I don't know, maybe that'll help you. That's a good one. And also, um, I generally do travel with a microfiber travel towel, the, 
Um, they come in various lengths. I always try and buy a really bright color because it's the kind of item I bought over time and I, for whatever reason, end up hanging it up and not seeing it when I packed leaves. So I try and buy bright orange, bright purple. But um, I use those for a million different things. I've even used them as um, a handkerchief from the sun um, to keep cool when it's hot, getting it wet. Uh, to dry off, and again, in a similar uh, situations for cleaning, um, as you were saying earlier, it's just something that um, if you don't like the towel where you're traveling, like in the NR, um, on service abroad programs where you're often staying in modest to mid-range places, and uh, these aren't places that are serviced by some kind of towel company. These are towels that have been purchased and have used over and over. Sometimes they get crunchy and they're not as soft. Yeah. So for people who don't like that, this is a way of having some kind of softer option to travel with and inexpensive along those same lines a collapsible uh, water uh, receptacle for drinking I think is a good idea um, we try and make refillable filtered water available on all of our programs. When we can't, we will provide um, actual water bottles, but obviously we would like to get away from the single-use plastic. Yeah. So uh, bringing some kind of um, water bottle with you um, is helpful on a work site all day and just to have your own so it's comfortable. And this is also an item that tends to get left behind, particularly when we have big groups of 150, 250, it seems like at the end of every week, we'll find 20 or 30 of these things. Uh, so I would put something bright on it if it's important to you and you feel like you need to get it back. Otherwise, um, somebody probably will use it if you leave it behind. Um, speaking of meals, um, on the airplane, a lot of people don't know that if you're traveling internationally, in many cases, like with American Airlines, about 30 days prior up until something like 24 to 48 hours. So within a month to a couple of days, that magic window, you can go and log in and choose your meal. And that can be good for several reasons. Number one, obviously, if you're vegan or vegetarian or lactose intolerant or whatever, you can actually make sure you're getting a meal that will work for your diet. And number two, you'll get your meal before everybody else. So if you're the kind of person who you can smell the food being delivered uh, however many rows behind or ahead and you're like, gosh, I'm so hungry, you'll actually get it really quickly if you pre-order because they bring those out before they bring the regular meals out. I personally always, I like to order the Indian meals just because I love Indian food. So I'm just in the habit of doing that and I end up being happy just because I love the flavors and buying it that way. Uh, and that way you ensure you get what you want. So... Um, just a little tip. Andy. Yeah. All right, Toby. Well, I know we're coming to the end of our time here. I don't know. What, is there anything, any other questions or items you wanted to chat about? I think we touched on most of what, uh, most of the things we, we talked about earlier. Um, I think another good thing that I recommend is uh, looking for places to stay like near university, wherever you are, um, because often the accommodations there are generally more safe um, if that's if that's something that's important to you. True. Now, service abroad, we won't always have those universities, and we provide accommodations for our programs. But if you're doing independent travel um, and there are universities, um, yeah, I agree. That's a, a good place to look. Yeah. Okay. All right. 
Well, Toby, thank you for keeping me on track. And uh, we may do this again because I'm sure I'm leaving off a million items. But um, we also want to hear from you. So don't hesitate to reach out, email, call. That is kind of what helps us decide what content people want and need. That's what we want to provide. So we really hope we get to see you here soon. And thank you so much for tuning in. Have a good one. Thanks for joining us. For more information about Globalware, just visit our website or our Facebook or LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok. We're pretty much on every one of those social media platforms. As always, have a good day and safe travels. <laughs>